Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Happy Father's Day. It's great to be able to preach on a day where we honour our fathers and all those who play a fathering role in our lives. I have the privilege of being a father to two top boys, and I also have the experience of being a son who's actually lost a father. So I am very aware of the range of emotions that can be brought to the forefront of our minds on a day like today. Perhaps feelings of joy and happiness, as well as pain and loss and regret. And I also know that on a day like today, we might not just be thinking about our fathers, but actually all our relationships in general. It's fairly common that on significant days, like birthdays and anniversaries and weddings and Father's Day and Mother's Day, that we stop and think about our relationships. What people do we have in our lives? Who's playing a parental role in our lives? Who are we connected to? Or maybe, who have I let down? Or who should I reach out to? For example, growing up, and to be honest, it's probably still true today that whenever my birthday comes around, I actually prefer to do something quite small than something quite big. Why is that, you ask? Well, actually, it's because I worry that if I plan something big, no one will turn up and I'll get the feeling of rejection. I know, I'm just being honest, but I'm sure I'm not the only person out there who likes to do things small rather than big on their birthdays. And so it would be fair to say that when our birthdays come around, perhaps not only are we thinking about how old we are, but we're also thinking about who is in our lives. What relationships do we have? And who perhaps is bothered to turn up to a party or get me a birthday present? It's in these moments that we can stop and think, how connected are we? Well, on a day like today, I suspect that once again, perhaps many of us are reflecting on our relationships. And on a day like today, I'd like to encourage us to think about our most important relationship our relationship with God. And so how's that relationship going? How's your relationship with God? We're in the middle of a series called Gentle and Lowly, and we're exploring who God is and his heart towards us. And as I reflected on the passage that has been read earlier from John chapter six, verse 35 to 40, I have seen in that passage, three big barriers that might prevent us from coming to faith in God and also continuing in our faith with God throughout our lives. So I'm gonna look at those three big barriers in turn. And this is the first, am I chosen? John 6 verse 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, will, I will never cast out. See, one of the barriers that some people have to come into faith in Jesus is that they speculate over whether they've been chosen or not. This comes from the first part of the verse all that the Father gives me will come to me. This means that some people the Father has chosen and some people the Father has not chosen. This is the biblical doctrine of unconditional election. 
This is the teaching that before the creation of the world, God selected out of the human race, already foreseen as fallen, those whom he would redeem and bring to faith in Jesus and those whom he would not. Let's take a brief pause for a moment. There's heavy words in there, words that I've chosen for a particular reason. So let me read that again. This is unconditional election, the teaching that before the creation of the world, God selected out of the human race, already foreseen as fallen, those whom he would redeem and have faith in Jesus and those whom he would not. This is a doctrine that is on one hand glorious and on the other hand raises more questions than I can actually answer. But that's okay because the very nature of this is that God is the creator, we are the created, and therefore there'll be things about God that we don't understand or comprehend. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So there'll be lots of things about God that we don't understand and that's okay because not all things are good or necessary for us to know. For example, as I mentioned, I have the privilege of being a father to two boys and I'm telling them constantly, vegetables are good for you. I'm telling them to make sure they stop before they cross the road. I'm telling them that they, they need to know that mud is not for eating, okay? We're still working on that one a little bit. And at the moment, they kind of just, you know, take what I say as given. But you see that children need to know a lot of things before they need to know why it's good for them. And if that is true in a relationship between a parent and a child, how much more is that true between us and God? I can tell you, though, some of the things that we do know. You see, election is based on God's sovereign grace. It's unconditional. We haven't deserved it. It's not based on merit. And let's be real for a moment that we as human beings deserve absolutely nothing. We deserve nothing from our holy God. We don't deserve mercy of any kind, only condemnation. And so it's a wonder and a cause of praise and celebration and worship that God should choose in his mercy any of us at all. Particularly when you consider that it involves him choosing to send his one and only son into the world to suffer and die on our behalf. In scripture also it's worth noting that this is a very pastoral doctrine used to help Christians see how great is the grace that has saved them, lead them to humility and praise and worship in response. It's a bit like the family secret of the people of God. You see, before you put your faith in Jesus, you don't need to be concerned about whether you're chosen or not. But afterwards, with hindsight, you can see that it provides huge comfort because you know that God has chosen you before the creation of the world. Another way of looking at this is just for a moment, imagining that there is a door in front of you. And as you approach this door, you notice that there are words written on the door. And on the door are the words, all are invited to come. All are invited to come. And so you go, wow, okay, I'm gonna to choose to come and I'm gonna open the door, walk inside the room and close the door behind me. And as you look back at the door, you see other words. You see on the inside of the door, the words chosen before the creation of the world. And you realize just how encouraging that is to hear. That whilst you decided to enter, in hindsight, you see that God has chosen you before the very creation of the world. You see, election is best understood in hindsight after coming to Christ. And so if you're a believer in the room today, can you draw encouragement 
and also humility in knowing that God chose you, not based on anything that you have done, but simply on his grace. And yet still, I'm sure you're wondering, there is a big question, a big elephant in the room. What has happened to those who have not been chosen? Unfortunately, this is a biblical mystery. We just don't know. And we have to hold this as a paradox, not a contradiction, but a paradox that God is sovereign and also we are accountable. You see, with those who have not been chosen, God actually leaves them to continue in their sin that actually they've already chosen to do and finally to treat them as their sins deserve. We don't know the ones who God hasn't chosen, nor do we know why he chose us. And nor is it our job to try and speculate about it at all. Rather, we live in the light of the certainty that anyone, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus will be saved. The invitation goes out to all. And so actually we preach the good news continually and continually. And that's what I'm doing today, appealing to people to come to know Jesus. And we always hold in mind and trust 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, which says, The Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the first barrier is, am I chosen? That might be a barrier for some. It may be a barrier for you today. The second barrier for some might be, will Jesus accept me? And this comes out of the second part of the verse, in verse 37, where Jesus says, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I find that one of the greatest fears we have as human beings is the fear of rejection. The fear that if someone truly knows me, they'll just cast me out. That's why people find it hard, if we're honest, to ask people out on a date. They fear rejection, don't they? Or the reason why we fear commitment or fear marriage, because deep down we realise that if someone truly knows me, they'll just cast me out. And it's the same when we come to Jesus. We discount ourselves time and time again because we think that Jesus, if he truly knew us, he would just cast us out. In the book, Gentle and Lowly, that we're basing this series on, it plays out a long list of excuses that we tell ourselves in the form of a conversation that we have between us and Jesus. And so I just wanna read you some of that conversation. It starts with us saying, but I'm a great sinner, we say. I will never cast you out, says Jesus. But I'm an old sinner, we say. I will never cast you out, says Jesus. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, we say. I will never cast you out, says Jesus. But I'm a backsliding sinner, we say. I will never cast you out, says Jesus. But you know, I've served Satan all my days, we say. I will never cast you out, says Jesus. But I have no good to bring with me, we say. I will never cast you out, says Jesus. See, his promise answers all our objections. He will literally never cast us out. And this again reveals his persevering heart, that he's gracious towards us and compassionate towards us and loves us radically. But of course, we are factories of fresh resistance to Christ's love. We keep on inventing more and more reasons why we can't come to him, why he will abandon us, and why in the end, he'll just grow tired and weary of all of us. So the conversation carries on. Wait, we say, you don't understand. I have really messed up. I've really messed it all up. I know Jesus responds. Well, you know most of it for sure, 
we say, more than others, but there's a perversity deep down inside me that is hidden from anyone else. I know it all, says Jesus. Well, you see, it's not just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can actually break free from any of this anytime soon, we say. Jesus says, that's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time, we reply. Well, let me carry it, says Jesus. But it's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offences aren't directed towards others, but they're directed towards you. Then I'm the most suitable person to forgive them, says Jesus. But the more of the ugliness inside you discover, soon you'll just get fed up with me. And Jesus replies, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Case closed. It's all done. We cannot present a reason for Jesus to finally close off his heart towards us. No reason exists. And that's hard for us to understand because in our human relationships, our friends have limits. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls are up. It's all over. But not with Jesus. With Christ, our sins and our weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. See, nothing but coming to him is required. And when we do come to him, he welcomes us with a warm embrace. The first barrier might be, am I chosen? The second barrier might be, will Jesus accept me? The final barrier might be, will Jesus stick with me? Let's have a look at verses 39 to 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, you might say, Charles, you're telling me that, you know, I shouldn't speculate whether I'm chosen or not. Just come to him. Everything will be okay. And as I look back on, you know, my life, I'll see that he's chosen me. Okay, I can kind of accept that. And you know what? Okay, I can kind of accept that Jesus will accept me no matter what. I can't, you know, I'm not sure I can quite believe it, but it sounds amazing. And then you might say, well, what next? Surely as time goes on, he'll just get sick of me. Surely he will just cast me out because I know who I'm like. I know what I'm like. Surely that can't be true. But if you have a look at these verses, aren't they so reassuring? Jesus literally says that he will lose no one that the Father has given him, but raise them up on the last day. Jesus will hold on to them and stick with them. We looked previously at the doctrine of election, and now this is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The doctrine teaches that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere till the end are truly born again. In other words, if you are truly born again, you can't lose your salvation. Or as some have put it, once saved, always saved. We see that clearly taught in these verses, but also later on in John's gospel. John chapter 10, verse 27 to 29, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than it all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You see, just like election, this is so reassuring. If you believe in Jesus, God's power will keep you forever, now and into eternity in the future. You can't lose that. My boys are quite adventurous. They love going out and we love going out. We love taking them to the woods for walks. And anytime we get to a steep slope, they hold my hand. They do it instinctively. They want to hold my hand because we're going down a steep slope. And after a short period, they aren't holding on to me any longer because they're young and literally they haven't got the strength to keep holding on to my hand. And if I don't hold on to them, they will literally slip out of my hand. So after a few steps, what I find is that I'm actually holding on to them because they can't hold on to me. They haven't got it in them. They can't do it themselves. And so I'm literally grabbing onto them because I'm determined to keep hold of them, keep them safe and not let them fall. And that is what it's like with God. He is determined to hold on to us. You know, we think, oh, no, we're we're holding on. But actually, we we can't do it even ourselves. We haven't got the resources in ourselves to hold on to him. He is the one who holds on to us because he is predetermined to hold on to us, to never let us go, to keep us from falling. But there is a second side to this doctrine that should challenge us and act as a warning. You see that continuing in the Christian life is evidence, is evidence that we are truly born again. You see, it's no good saying, well, I said a prayer once and so I'm saved. I've got a ticket into heaven. That's all I want. No, that cannot be the case. Okay, it cannot be the case that we have that kind of mentality. You see, one of the evidences that we are true believers, that we've been truly born again, is that we persevere in the faith. You see, all those in the end who fall away reveal that they were never truly born again in the first place. Let's take a pause. These are weighty things to consider, right? Really weighty things to consider. Those who fall away reveal that they weren't truly born again in the first place. For example, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 22, he who endures to the end will be saved. Or in Hebrews 3, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. You see, it's like having two sides of the same coin. On one side, God will never let us go. The Father is greater than it all. He will not let anyone snatch us from his hand. And on the other side, we are to show that we have regenerate hearts by persevering, continuing in our faith. So we've looked at three barriers, haven't we? Of coming to Jesus or continuing in Jesus. Am I chosen? Will Jesus accept me? Will Jesus stick with me? So you might be asking, what next? Or what assurances do I have that I am chosen, that I'm accepted, that Jesus will stick with me? Are there any reassurances, Pastor, for us today? Well, I have two points of application which will come in the form of questions. Firstly, do you have present trust in the Lord Jesus? Do you have present trust in the Lord Jesus? Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, that we will be saved if we continue in our faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. If you are in any doubt whatsoever today, then today could be the moment that you repent, 
that you turn from living your own way. You turn and start living for Christ and you put your faith in Jesus. And in doing so, you receive the forgiveness of sins. You receive restoration to a right relationship with God and you receive new life, eternal life in him. This could be the day where you make that commitment, maybe for the first time, maybe as a recommitment. Because you see, having faith in Jesus is not something that we do as a one-off event. It's something that is repeated constantly throughout our lives, daily, as we continue to put our trust in Jesus. And today you can have reassurance. Maybe you're someone who, 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 who is doubting right now. So that question, do you have a present faith in Jesus? You might have some doubts, but today you can know full assurance by putting your faith back in the Lord Jesus. Secondly, my question to you is, are you aware of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Paul says in Romans chapter eight, verse 16, that the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So are you aware of the Holy Spirit working in your life to produce the fruit of the spirit? You know, things like godly traits, like love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and so on. Are you aware of those things? You see, our assurance as God's people comes through being people that are filled with the Spirit and walking in obedience to that Spirit. That's where our assurance comes from. So today, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you walking in step with the Holy Spirit? You know, we will never be perfect in this life. I am one to be honest about that. Okay, I am by no means perfect. None of us will be this side of heaven. But if the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, then gradually, over time, we'll become more and more like Jesus. And that, in the end, is the goal, friends. So are you living a life in obedience to God's word? 1 John chapter 2, verse 4-6 to says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. <laughs> Challenging verses, right? But the only way that we can live this way is if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't do it any other way. It's impossible. So today, can I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit? I asked you earlier to imagine that, that door, didn't I? That on the front says, all are invited to come. And that is the appeal that I'm making to you today. To come, to come to the Lord Jesus, to accept him as your Lord and savior, to treasure him above all things. The door is there available to you today. All are invited to come. Will you repent and put your faith in Jesus and walk through that door of faith? And as you walk through that door of faith and you close it and you look back, be encouraged, be encouraged that on that door, it says chosen before the foundation of the world. What an amazing encouragement that is. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and continue walking in step with the Spirit, in obedience with the Spirit every day for the rest of your life. That is the call upon us. And so I appeal to you, come today, come to the Lord Jesus, treasure him above all things. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and continue in faith, knowing that God will always be with you. And Jesus gives us his promise. Jesus says, come and I will never, ever cast you out. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word.
We're so thankful for the gospel of grace. And Lord, I just pray for us today that we would be people that come to you as Lord and Saviour. I pray that today there'll be many who come to you. I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. And I pray that you would encourage us with the promises of your word and enable us to continue to live for you in complete submission to your word and your will. In Jesus' name, amen.